0: This week on Dig Me Out
1: with your hosts Jason Ziak and Tim Minnichi.
2: Jay, this week we are reviewing an album which we haven't done in a couple weeks. We've had like three weeks in a row now where we haven't touched a record. So it's good to get back on the record review horse. Take it for a ride. <laughs> Let's get this back on track. Yeah, exactly. Uh, no, we've had some good episodes, uh, interviews, roundtables, whatnot. But getting back to our bread and butter, which is reviewing albums. And this is one that uh, we needed some help on. So the man who suggested it. Mr. D. X. Ferris is joining us. Hello, hello, sir.
1: Good evening. Thank you for having me.
2: Always a pleasure to have you, sir. And uh, the the album that we're going to do is Emmett Swimming's album "Wake." And the, you had mentioned this in like a kind of a Twitter exchange. And this is one. This is a, a band that's been on my radar for a long time, and I've been wanting to get to them because really, you're the one. Yeah, I'm the one. So there's a backstory. When I was at the College Music Journal Festival, CMJ, in New York City in 1996, I went to a bar called The Wetlands, and there were two bands that played that I saw. The first band was Emmett Swimming, and then the second band was Pusher Man. Pusher Man were a British band. (laughs) Yes. Think of Oasis, but instead of on cocaine, they're on heroin. And they had a harmonica player, and their songs were seven minutes long.
1: I read a review of Pusher Man in Kerrang!, about the same year, and that is the record review that led me to the thought, like, wait a minute, record reviews are awful. (laughs) This one is particularly bad. And given the opportunity, I think I could write about music at least as badly as these professionals do. (laughs) So Pusher Man was a turning point in my musical development.
2: Well, that's a a band I've been obsessed with since I saw them. Because they were like... There were like eight guys on stage. They had like three guitar players. They got a guy just playing harmonica. They had two singers. They were really like drugged out and slow and. Jammy. What did the
1: Kerrang review say? It was something like, "This is the future of rock," and it yeah. is Pusher Man.
2: Yeah, they got they got tagged. the future of
1: rock. Somebody owes me six bucks for a used CD on that one. I, I
2: actually like that record a lot.
1: I haven't but, seen them live.
2: Yeah, it was the live show that sold me. I mean, that, that was the you know I was an impressionable. Twenty early twenty something at a, my first time in the big city and out amongst the record labels and you know executives and and uh, college music uh, professionals that uh, I was I was uh, quite in over my head at that point. So, but the other band was Emmett Swimming and I immediately went home and dug through our archives at the radio station and found their album that we're not doing. It's the album after this. I think it's called Arlington
1: yeah Actually, arlington to boston arlington that was produced by the great don dixon of rem fame among countless others okay. so they they kind of had a pretty good run and had their shot uh, yeah we'll, we'll talk about that later so but that album not as good as this one i don't think but again we can come back to that as well right so you heard that album and then what did you think
2: I remember liking that record but it was amongst you know it was 96 97 somewhere in there and there were a million albums you know we were getting 50 60 a week at the radio station so like i probably listened to it i might have picked it up used at the you know local record store and then i moved on to the next you know 20 bands the next week that we were playing so it wasn't a Which band that i just file yeah i haven't i had not revisited opinion. but i had never checked out wake so I'm glad that we're doing that now. Now, how did you get into them? Because you're not just someone who suggested this; you're actually quoted on their PR page. I That's
1: only good. found that out yesterday. That was a pleasant surprise.
2: That's got to be fun. You
1: yeah. Know, Google you can, you yourself and go like
2: look where your look where your name comes up.
1: No, I try. I try not to. One of my my deals I made with myself a while back was uh, I'm not going to read the reviews. So I don't, uh, I don't Google myself that often, not in that context anyway. Gotcha. Uh, but no, was, I was trying to do some research on Emmett Swimming. One of the many, many things that have hopped in this band's career is that over the years, they have never had a very good online presence. And uh, there's not a whole lot out there about them. And uh, their modern day press kit apparently is so strapped for good words that they're willing to quote me on it. And that's that's a review I didn't even remember writing, although I've said that countless times to many people.
2: So how but, did you uh, first discover him? Was it why well, I, doing I reviews? was
1: I happened to be in the Washington, D.C. area in 1994. I was doing an internship there with the Department of Defense 50th anniversary of World War Two Commemoration Committee. And uh, I was you know, dabbling in the rat race down there, uh, worked waking up ridiculously early and coming home ridiculously late to work a nine to five job. And, uh, when I had a little bit of free time on my hands, um, you know, spending my, my hard earned money, um, I happened to find myself on George Mason university, uh, hanging out with some people that went to school there regularly. And they told me about this pretty good local alt rock band that was getting some airplay from time to time on, uh, WHFS, one of the seminal alternative uh, college rock radio stations. And they said, come on out, check out this band. They're pretty good. Maybe you'll like them. So I went to see them and holy geez, did I like them. You know, it was one of those experiences where you see a band and uh, one of the songs or the song that they closed with was just stuck echoing in my head for like three days. Wow, I really, really like that and at the time i bought this album this album was their newer album it was the independent version of it not the uh, later major label re-release on it mm-hmm. and i didn't recognize the songs from the set and the song that had left an impression on me was not um one of the songs from it so i like to think when i think about this band that they're not a band that i merely saw live and enjoyed and then confused the record with the live experience because when i chose one of the two cds to buy it turns out that the one that i had was not the songs that i liked if you follow me Mm -hmm. so yeah i just happened to be right place right time and i caught them and i knew who they were and i loved them uh next time i saw them i got the second cd or the first cd as it was uh then when they started the tour a little bit they got signed up to a major they released this album on uh the major um I'm sure you guys have had this experience with a bunch of bands where you see them somewhere and there's five people there and three of them are you and your friends. Right. Uh, And you're the only one who's into them and you just happen to be the one guy in town that happens to know them at that point. So I was able to see this band up close and personal with literally nobody else there. Uh, Like one of my favorite bands playing just for me. And, uh, you know, I like them. I like them. Uh, Over the years, their career kind of ebbed and flowed a little bit, but I think their first couple albums are amazing to the point where we're still talking about them.
2: So I want to get into, you mentioned about them releasing and then re-releasing. So for the people that are listening to this and they haven't actually gotten into the history and looked up the Wikipedia page, I just want to give a few bits of info. First is, like you mentioned, the band's from uh, the fairfax virginia area they formed in 90 or 91 at george mason Um, they put out their first release in 93 which is called dark when the snow falls and that was on yes and if
1: you like this album you should certainly go back and check that one as well
2: and that's on the screaming goddess records label which i don't know anything about but that's where their second album wake was also released on that uh, in 94, then they get picked up by Epic, which reorganizes the record, adds some songs, changes the, uh, the track listing around, and that gets re-released in 95. Um, I think the original one we, we talked about, the original one was 12, then the re-release was 13. They added the song uh, Jump in the Water as the uh, lead track which was also, I guess, the lead single. Um, And then uh, followed that up with Arlington to Boston, which we mentioned earlier. That came out in 96. So that would have been the album that I would have seen them uh, in New York. They would have been pushing that record um, at the CMJ Music Festival. And then they released, uh, two years later, Big Night Without You on... uh, Pleasant
1: record. Fun little rock record.
2: And I think that's their last on a major because the Bathing in the New Economy EP that came out in 2003 was back on Screaming Goddess Music, their original label. And then they reformed uh, after being apart for a while, and in 2013 they released This Kid Walks Into a Bar, which, again, released on Screaming Goddess. And that's an eight-song, I guess, album or extended EP. I don't know what you'd call eight songs.
1: That's yeah, a- it's short. If I understand correctly, I think it has uh, a leftover from you know their their last couple major label record sessions. Like a couple of them are produced by uh, you know who the the people that did those ones. I forget what those are offhand.
2: And they've had a uh, the, the the core of the band. I guess would you say is Todd Watts, the vocal guitarist, and then yeah, um... it's it's
1: very much like Todd's band. He was the guy. He's the only uh, consistent. Uh, member through, yeah, everything. Yeah, and he, once they started recording, uh, you know, uh, the the drummer, tremendous drummer named Tamer Eed, uh, he came in and started recording with them. But then the uh, the rest of the band has, uh, has shuffled a little bit.
2: Yeah, it looks like they've had at least uh, five bass players. So basically, about yeah. one per album. Yeah, yeah, like. we'll,
1: we'll we'll talk about that.
2: So, and one of them is named Mike Chocolate Thunder. So uh...
1: I I don't know the particulars behind that. <laughs> yeah, again, the history on the band very spotty, very spotty.
2: So that's the but, uh, history but basically
1: on them. this band is is the archetypal alternative boom band. Yeah, as you said, they formed in 1990. You know, parenthetically, in the the Northern Virginia, Washington D.C. adjacent area, uh, formed 1990 back in the college rock era, a year later, they're calling it alternative music. The band gets signed up at the tail end of the alternative gold rush. Uh, They release sort of three albums on a major label. They have a song that's in a commercial, sort of form of video, not really, sort of have a couple singles, and not really, sort of tour a little bit, and not really, not that much. so you know, after three albums, their major label career just sort of trails off. Um, you know, their music—you know—I can't tell you what their motives were or, or how it happened, but their music over time kind of, and we'll say, shifts from very dynamic and very adventurous and very elaborate to more kind of run-of-the-mill alt rock, standard kind of plain. Then they break up and now they reform from time to time, uh, do some gigs here and there, reconvene, not on like a bowling league, you know. (laughs) So they had very much that 1990s trajectory to them. But these first couple albums, I'm telling you, are as, as good as anything that was released in the 90s for the most part. As far as Mere Mortals doing it, these guys did it extremely well with the classic lineup intact. And this album is the last one that had the classic lineup intact.
2: Gotcha. So let's go around. I want to, if you were picking out one thing that uh, you wanted to, uh, you know, someone who hasn't listened to the band and you want to say, this is why you got to listen to this band. It's because, boom, this is something I really like about this band. What would be that one thing? And then I'll, I'll throw it to myself and Jay afterwards so we can talk about the record uh, Man. as a
1: whole. I, I ranked this album as my number 47 album of the 90s. And my list is maybe suspect, but I, I will stand by the general uh, the selection, if not the, the exact order in them. And at the time, I called them the best band to almost emerge from the alternative boom. Almost. Almost. Uh, my, my top... In my top 10 comparable albums for the 90s, like among the stuff that is some of my favorite stuff that is comparable to this, I love Ani DeFranco's uh, Not a Pretty Girl. Um, that album, Jeff Buckley's Grace, REM's Automatic for the People was one of my all-time favorites. Uh, Jane's Addiction, Ritual, uh, Beastie Boys' Check Your Head. Those were all in my 90s. So that gives you an idea of where I'm coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a huge R.E.M. fan, and I like this album, Wake. I like it better than half the R.E.M. albums. Um, My favorite R.E.M. songs, to give you a further idea, are I Don't Sleep, I Dream, Finest Work song, and pretty much anything on Automatic for the People. I know that's not three songs, but... uh So if that gives you an idea where where they're coming from... Um, Again, this was a sort of pre-professional time for me, so I know it's tremendously lazy to say that they reminded me of R.E.M. Uh, I wouldn't do it that way, but it's just kind of programmed into me. When I say that they remind me of R.E.M., this is what I mean by that. Um, they have the kind of... Uh, where R.E.M. has the jangle is kind of their sonic signature. Uh, Emmett Swimming have a propulsive acoustic guitar. That tends to uh, resurface from time to time and really keep things moving along. Uh, they have a lot of really awesome, incredible, dynamic jams, but they have some really good, chilly, mellow material too that you can just kind of chill out to. Uh, you know, stuff that I had on a mixtape with Holes, Doll Parts, uh, Wild Colonials, really compatible with that kind of stuff. Uh, if that starts to fill in, like where we're coming from, if you can triangulate it a little bit. But this album, to me, it has amazing production. Uh, This band with the classic lineup has really, really good dynamics. Uh, The engineering has a tremendous low end, I think, to it. Uh, Many albums try to feel like this record and try and force that kind of sound to happen. A lot of classic rock bands try to do this kind of thing where they try to make it fill up an arena where you can sort of picture the song slowing down and just kind of, breathing for a minute and that almost never works on record. They do this. Uh the singer Todd Watts has a very unique voice. I know it's redundant to say very unique, but uh yeah it's almost an acquired taste. But if you can ponder Morrissey in his more melodramatic over the top moments, I think you can handle Todd Watts's voice. I like it. I like it. There is what I really picked up listening to it this time is that they have an amazing rhythm section. Tamer Tamer Eid, again. The uh, the drummer is tremendous. You know he, uh, he he's so much better than the material has to be. You know he's he's really good, really intricate drummer, really plays his ass off. But the bassist for this, and I think when the bassist leaves the something departs the band. The bassist on this was a a guy named Raw. Uh, sorry, Robert Shaw. Let me say that one more time rob shaw sometimes robert shaw he's listed as this guy i believe had a jazzy background to it and he was uh he was really a real character i can talk about that a little bit more but um yeah so that's what i like about this band incredible rhythm section very propulsive lyrical guitar lines constantly and just good overall ambience to it produced really well does that answer your question
2: i think it does jay Tell me one thing you liked about this record. Um,
0: I think you just mentioned it—the the lyrical guitar lines. There's there's this um, ever-present um, lead guitar signature through a lot of these songs that I think is um, it's reminiscent of REM. It's also reminiscent of like a lot of I think '80s alternative music, sort of that early uh, '90s, late '80s. Before things turned grunge, it sort of reminded me of that era when there was a lot of clean guitar, a lot of delay, you know, more using um, effects, and then really focusing a lot of melody, whether it be kind of a lead part or even just accenting picking. Um, there's always something interesting that 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 lead guitar is doing to help, I think,
1: elevate the songs and. Yeah, really the the wine guitarist wine. I should mention, uh Eric Wenberg was also the uh or uh, Weinberg, I forget which offhand. Um he was the uh, the other mainstay through the um through the lineup. So he played guitar and uh Todd Watts, the uh, the singer, also played guitar. So those were the uh yeah, just giving credit where it's due.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I think a song like Expect Me, the 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 guitar lead in that, through that intro and first verse, I think is pretty signature in terms of what i'm what i like about this band and what i think he does well it's 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 almost the hook into itself
2: Agree with what you guys said and play off. Damn right. Them. Well, I do want to focus on. You mentioned about the rhythm section. I think one of the things that we have harped on, you know, so many times when we listen to records is that when things do slow down, the rhythm sections become irrelevant. They get, become so sort of sparse or so predictable. Uh, there's not a lot of, I guess, originality. And when this band does slow it down, the bass and drums do st- tend to stay a little bit more interesting than when uh, any like a lot of other bands will just go into sort of a typical four, four kind of slow beat. And that helps because you know, and this is another thing. When you know Jay and I will get into the slower songs. and when you've heard like the third or fourth slow song, On a 12 or 13 song record from the 90s, you know, there's gotta be something that's making it interesting. Um, So when the rhythm section is able to keep it propulsive, um, that's really helpful in terms of losing, you know, not losing focus on the record. The other thing is, and you mentioned about the Morrissey esque vocals and parts. I really picked up on that. There were quite a number of songs where. Uh, you could really hear Morrissey's delivery, not necessarily like him aping his vocal style, but just that like slightly overwrought vocal, um which I enjoyed because he does have kind of an unusual vocal delivery. I can't really pin him on anybody else in terms of like the actual yeah, sound and, and, of his and voice. I, we're
1: doing him a disservice to, to say He asked, but it's it gives you an idea of what ballpark he's coming from. And, you know, that's, I, I think what is missing with popular music today is that people are just doing things. Like, I'm doing this move, and I'm singing in that style, and right. I'm doing that, and you don't have a lot of distinct voices, literally or figuratively. Everyone's just doing some kind of version of somebody else's thing that somebody else perfected a long time ago, and... I like to hear something unique, you know, I like to hear something that even though it might be a little bit unusual, as I said, you know, for a lot of people that I've played this for, his voice is an acquired taste, but acquire it, damn it, it's good.
2: Well, I did go to, I did go checking out Arlington to Boston just to compare, just to jog my memory, and he does, I think, tone it down a little bit, some of the, um, the histrionics or whatever, however you want to put it it is a little bit more reserved um but i also noticed on that one they you know turn up the distortion on some of the songs so i think there was maybe more of a concerted effort to write what would be considered like alternative rock songs i don't know if epic you know basically said look this is what we're looking at in terms of the market and you know you guys you know might want to uh buy a distortion pedal <laughs> or or something cuz this is a very you mentioned this. There's a lot of jazzy elements to this record, without it being jazzy. Um, but it's just in like the phrasing of certain chords, or the way that the interplay between the guitars and the and the dr- bass and drums. They can kind of have this kind of, you know, in the same way that uh, when certain you know a band like Dada, or there's some other. Very early '90s bands that were, like Jason, were playing off of '80s stuff that didn't get into like heavy sounds. They can kind of use some of those clean tones. Can kind of sound a bit jazzy at times, and that was that was an interesting thing. It's always better, f- at least for me, when I listen to a record and I'm maybe I don't love it, but at least I'm interested because it's not something I've heard before. If we listen, yeah, to a you know, band, I'll, I'll
1: take a minute. I'll, I'll mention the the good mistress. Here, the bassist uh, Rob Shaw. Um, he was he was a really interesting guy to watch. Do you remember? Or no? By the time you saw them, the bassist was he didn't leave an impression on you. Not in a bad way, but you didn't look at him and think, "Wow, who is that guy?" Did he? No. No, by that point, it would have been the the replacement basis. Okay, Rob Shaw was a really interesting. Again, I wish I knew more about his background and I would love to find out what he went on to after this so I could hear him play it. But this guy had a he either had a shaved head or was bald. Are either of you comic book people from back in the day? Like, when I talk about the Doctor Strange look of the 1990s, does that mean anything to you?
2: No, I I, I am not a comic book guy from back in the day. Nope.
1: (laughs) Doctor Strange in the 1990s had a bald head. Uh, Not really a Benedict uh, Cumberbatch kind of look. But Rob Shaw, the bassist, looked like the 1990s version of Doctor Strange. It's a distinguished, really good look. I, I forget if he had a goatee as well. Maybe I'm making that up. But, um, you know, he had a way of playing where he would hold the bass up kind of high, if I remember correctly. And as he played, he would move his mouth and jaw in a huge gait as he played, as if he were singing along to an extra set of unheard lyrics. It was just fascinating to watch, really hypnotizing the whole time, like he was chewing a giant piece of gum or singing along or something. And when Rob left, uh, that phantom set of lyrics was gone from the mix. I think, you know, Arlington to Boston certainly has its darker and atmospheric moments, but you're nothing that I, I think can quite compare to this one. So, it seems to me that when Rob left the band, a certain spirit left as well. I think once, generally speaking, once a classic lineup shatters, it's like the glass is broken the balloon pop there's no putting that back together again which um, is my read on it it's an uninformed read but that's what i have been guessing at for 20 years now mm-hmm.
2: the um the other vocal that uh the um uh the that this band reminded me of and that, that leads me reminded me of i i don't know who it is exactly but there are times where it reminds me of tears for fears and i don't know if that's Uh, Roland or I see where you're coming from but that like I don't and I don't I'm not musically um inclined I I should ask my I should have asked my wife before this I don't know if it's a baritone or uh or uh if that's like that deep but there's like this deep like chesty aspect to his vocal and the one guy of the two singers in Tears for Fears has that sound at times Am I am I'm, I'm not off on that, right? You guys hear that too?
0: Well, yeah, I mean it's kind of like what kind of the way Glenn Danzig sings sometimes too. Like they go into that like like they go way below their normal register. And I, I am know what a you huge Danzig fan, that. so I don't know what yeah, you call that. I never made technique. that connection
1: before, but that's that's an interesting note. You're
0: I don't not know what oh.
1: that
0: I don't know what that technique is. I mean, it's kind of like also
1: like When you hear people sing like Elvis, they'll do the same thing? Like they go in this register? Yeah, well, it's singing, you know? I mean, that's, uh, you know, one of the the miracles of Glenn Danzig is that out of the whole hardcore movement, I think he was the only guy that was truly singing. I don't know if he's the only one that could or the only one that thought to, but out Mm -hmm. of all those people making all that amazing music, he's the one guy that thought, you You know what? I'm going to go for it here. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think more people need to do that. You know, as, as a big metal head now as we've discussed, I, I hate modern metal vocals because nobody's really trying to do anything. Nobody's distinct. And you know, say what you will about his voice. Maybe you don't like it, but the guy is going for it. Mm-hmm. And uh you've seen him live. This is probably worth a note. The singer Todd Watts is a huge guy. I mean, I'm I'm ai I'm a big-ish guy, but compared to him i look like a very average guy you know he's he's almost uh sort of peter boyle young frankenstein monster type big like a (laughs) real yeah i remember that (laughs) yeah and I, you know i don't mean that disrespectful he's just a a gigantic guy
2: yeah he's not like he's not john popper in the 90s not like a wide guy he's just a a tall kind of big dude
1: yeah tall thick
2: yeah yeah so, like seeing him in front of a mic stand with a guitar is the guitar. It looks like he's playing like a, the kid's guitar because he's just yeah. like, a big And guy. the whole point
1: that I mentioned that is he literally has a big voice.
2: Yeah. So, in revisiting this, was there anything that you felt either didn't age well or that um, maybe there were things? I, I know you mentioned your appreciation for this record, but were there any things you thought, well, Here's where I thought that maybe this is why they weren't successful on this record. Any sort of criticisms of it?
1: Well, I mean, you as I said, I mean, artistically, musically, this is solid, man. I like this. I love R.E.M. I would be comfortable with an R.E.M. tattoo. I like this better than at least half the R.E.M. albums. And I say that with all respect. Um, this is a tremendous album. Artistically, it holds up. Beyond that, you know what a weird thing the music business is and how whimsical it is. And, you know, especially by this point in the alternative gold rush, everybody knew how to game the system. Um, I don't know for a fact that people were out with bags of cocaine, uh, bribing certain radio people to play certain bands. But if there were, I don't think there were any or as many of those people. Working as hard on Emmett Swimming's behalf, so I don't know if I ever heard them on the radio. You know, in my cursory uh, internet research, I mean, in the few numbers, statistics, superlatives that uh, their various uh, public relations bodies have been able to post over the years, radio play does not. Uh, they don't. They don't score too highly on those charts. You know. Um right the videos that they had or did not have low budget at best um no kind of serious touring action i mean their their biggest consistent tour they played was the horde tour in 1998 which was uh, pretty much after the boat had sailed well so eh, you know again like kind of the that, that high point of their career was them landing a song in a commercial and I could be wrong with that, but uh, yeah, they they certainly did not catch a lot of breaks. Is my point? I think we can agree on that much. So yeah, that's that's kind of what didn't happen. I'll tell you two things that struck me uh, on revisiting this. Number one, um, you said you could include this in the show notes, right? Mm-hmm. As you've mentioned, the sequencing is a little bit different. Uh, significantly different a little bit different but significantly the sequencing is different for the independent release the first version of it and the major label release which is what you'll hear on Spotify it is on Spotify by the way you know for years very little was on YouTube you know we talk about them having a bad internet presence and footprint So the easiest way to find this now is to go to YouTube. Uh, I have a link to a playlist that approximates the indie edit. Uh, It's not exactly the same, but it's close to it for reasons we can discuss. But I think the major label version of the album both tries to play up the angst angel angle of it. um, But it also tries to diffuse it as well. I mean, this is a substantial band. Uh, You know, this is a band from the northern tip of the southern Gothic tradition. You know, again, this is a Virginia band. So when you uh, when you look at who they are, and where they're coming from, Todd, the singer, I believe, was an English major. Uh, I'm certain he was a Methodist. I know he told me that I was able to speak to him briefly at a uh, at a gig once. Um, When you look at what's going on within the music Hinged with Southern Gothic, you know, there's some Southern existential stuff going on. There's a little bit of religious dread here and there, uh, some theologically informed suffering. As I said, this is like the northern tip of Southern Gothic. You know, you have images like wolves and mysterious voices, social tension. Uh, You know, the the band's name, Emmett Swimming, is a reference to a a 14-year-old boy, Emmett Till, that was shot and then thrown into a river to drown. Uh, socially conscious band. Um, You get things like yearning. You get things like natural images, natural cycles, like seasons, days, nights, um, that kind of thing. Rain, darkness. So there's a lot going on with this band. Um, But I think that... I strongly suspect that, you know, as you had hinted at, when they signed on to the major label, the major label wanted to make them a recognizable alternative kind of thing. So the songs that they added on, that they recorded in, a, in an additional session when they signed to the major label, I don't think those really enhanced the album much. Those songs being Jump in the Water, uh, those songs being um, Ed's song, and they re-recorded, Uh, One of the songs on there, I believe that was Broken Ore. I have that in my notes somewhere. But the two truly new, new songs don't add much to the album, I think. They're pretty good B-sides. And I like the band. I love the album, so I'm thankful and glad they have the B-sides, but I don't think they're tremendous. From what I understand of singer's life and background, the opening song, Jump in the Water, does not really reflect who he is, but it gives people a kind of narrative latch on to. I don't know if that was by design or if that's something they grudgingly did. But eh, I don't like it that much. You know, this is a band that has a lot of really, as we discussed, some genuine, amazing, real dynamics going on. And that opening cut on the major edition, Jump in the Water, I think is just some pretty generic post nirvana up down soft loud dynamics um i don't think that works so well so i think this album as i said both plays up the angst angle but then diffuses it you know it sends the album out on three increasingly upbeat tunes so they make you feel sad they make you worry but then it's it's all okay in the end it's a happy ending and i don't like that i think that's kind of horseshit but hey you know it still works you know you can visit uh Visit Spotify. Visit link. You can see if it plays better without that stuff. You know. Well, my theory. Did you pick is, up on that at all, or is it just me?
2: Well, well, my theory is is that I agree with when they rejiggered the album to add those tracks, add that, like you mentioned, that loud, uh, soft loud of Jump in the Water. i What I think they were going for was the like Toad the Wet Sprocket, Counting Crows, Big Head Todd and the Monsters gin blossoms you know i think they were shooting as at the label wise for like that because this isn't a band that's gonna you know kick on a rat distortion pedal and and have a real heavy chorus so i think they were shooting for more of like that um you know pop but but a tinge of darkness and melancholy that those yeah, bands and just, have well,
1: I mean this album has darkness and melancholy for days. So yeah. for them to come along and hit you over the head with a song that's like, This is melancholy. This is heavy, like But I get it. You know, you want people to buy the record. You're hoping this will connect with radio listeners. So
2: Yeah. Jay. I don't
1: begrudge them that
2: Jay, your yes. thoughts on maybe what what wasn't successful on the record?
0: Well, I don't know commercially, why or why not? Um Uh, I am definitely falling in the camp of, I, it it would take me a while for the, for the, uh, to acquire the taste for the vocal. Um, and I don't think it's in the necessarily in this, the, um, the tone or the sound of the voice. It's, I think it's more maybe the melody choices. Um, I, I don't love, he falls a lot into like adding ease and eyes to the end of words that don't have or eyes at the end. Um, (laughs) So it's not die, it's die, and you know, there's a lot of that. Um, and he kind of creates his melodies out of those those extended uh syllables at the end of words that he kind of adds. Um and once you oh, catch I wish on you to had it, pointed that out.
1: Because once you catch on to it, You like, will hear from my attorney, sir. <laughs> <laughs> it,
0: it starts to get a little maddening after you start to notice that you're like, Oh, there it is, there it is again, there it is again. Um So, yeah, I observed that pretty quickly, and it started to uh, make it really difficult to to get past that. So, yeah, I mean, I think that was the biggest barrier for me with the band was the vocal. um, uh, I think there's a lot musically here to appreciate. Um, I think the bass playing is fantastic. I, I was really shocked to hear that they changed the bass player as much as they did because he sounds like the heart of the band. I mean, it's... The, the guitars are the guitars i mentioned earlier they're able to do what they're able to do
1: because the bass is carrying so much of the weight yeah and, uh, and the guy that replaced them no no slouch not a bad bassist but just not a, a supernatural figure
0: yeah so uh there's definitely a, i i mean there, there were points where i i really wish it, it was more musical like or there was more uh less vocal and just more music focused um i could actually use some more jams on this record um um and and maybe a less less vocal presence but um yeah I think it's the kind of thing where you either love the voice or you don't um I don't know if you could grow to I don't know, did you grow to like it or did you
1: like it from the when you very when you heard it the first time for I, I was hooked immediately I yeah. saw them and I liked them and bam I was in
2: I think we all have bands like that though right I mean there are bands that that I like and then I, I put it on for somebody and they're like Oh, I I this I can't stand this singer. Yeah, and so well, you know, and you probably have the same thing, Jay. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. it's just that's just one of those things where if if they're not a radio you know ready vocal, then sometimes they're people that are divisive. Not divisive. Um, yeah, I guess that's the word. It can be it, that can be the the issue with the band being successful or not. Um, And it's interesting that R.E.M. is the comparison because I remember, you know, we're all old enough to remember, I remember very early on with R.E.M., Michael Stipe's singing being one of the things that people were, oh, you can't understand him, although it's a mumbly, and, you know, and eventually the lyrics became much more clear and whatnot, but that was, like, one of the early criticisms of R.E.M. was the how difficult the lyrics, not the lyrics, the, but the vocals were. Uh, I'm sure there are people still to this day that don't like REM just because they don't don't like Michael Stipe's vocal, which is fine. Not everybody's going to like everything,
1: but, but he does enunciate. You got to give him that. Yeah.
2: And I think that, you know, I didn't pick up on that thing that you're talking about, Jay, but I think that's the difference between like a singer and someone who sings. Like there are, there are guys in bands and girls in bands who just sing because they're the singer. And then there are people who like actually sing, and the manipulation of words and of phrasing are are merely to serve the song that they're singing. And it's not necessarily like you know when I think of like Gavin Rossdale, I don't think of him as being a good singer. Like he can come up with a melody to put over four chords, but he's not really a singer in the
1: yeah, like, a good front man, not yeah. necessarily a great vocalist. It,
2: yeah. That's what I I guess I'm sort of getting at.
1: You know, so so much of, like, 90s alt-rock aspired to the condition of indie cinema. You know, you wanted to catch scenes that were, like, something you would see in an indie movie. And, and I think that, you know, just it occurred to me, I mean, those songs like Jump in the Water and Ed's song that are you know, kind of the disposable songs on the album, I think that's what those kind of play like. I think, yeah, okay, you know, you can live without seeing most indie movies. And I think you can live without these particular songs.
2: Well, let's do, we, we usually like to, um, to wrap this up with our scale, our ratings scale, which is, is this album, is this a worthy album? Would this be better trimmed down to an EP or is this so bad? It's really just a single. Let's do this. DX. Is this still a worthy album for you?
1: Yeah, for for my money, I mean, this is is a full, I mean, this is kind of the, uh, it's almost a rarity in the CD era. I mean, it's a 45-minute album, um, 47 if I remember correctly. We'll say 45, something like that in the ballpark. It's a 45-minute album that warrants its existence. Like, it's that good. You know, um, yeah, the indie the indie version had a track or two. The indie version has a song called "I Believe" on it, which understandably was dropped from the major version. That song um, it sounds a lot like "London Calling." It's a song about the IRA, the uh, Irish uh, organization, and yeah, and I mean, no major label is going to pick that up. Um, I am of Irish extraction. No way am I going to go on record saying shit about the IRA one way or the other. So that's certainly an understandable move. Uh, but I think the album works fine without that song, regardless. So yeah, I think it's it's a forty-five minute album that uh, that you know, in one form or another, uh, is is better, closer to forty-five minutes than thirty.
2: Would you recommend the self-released or the or the shorter original release versus? The epic release?
1: I, I like the flow of the indie release. I mean, the, um, yeah, again, you can check out the playlist that we, we have set up there. Uh, I think the, the flow and the sequencing is more true to the band spirit with the indie version of it, but I don't think you're going to get a. Uh, I think the kind of stuff that I'm complaining about on the major album release, that's, uh, some rock snob stuff. You know, I think your average listener, um. Who hasn't been pondering this album for 20 years? I think you'll still enjoy it just fine. And in my favorite songs, by the way, uh, it's called I'll Be Fine. That's my favorite. Uh, I hear voices I love. And uh, When Morning Comes, that was like the big, you know, if, if not the quote unquote single, that's uh, I think definitely like the standout track from the album. When Morning Comes is probably like the one you want to listen to if you want to check them out.
2: The day.
0: If you've never trained, why are you so bon-
2: I'm gonna agree with you on in terms of it being worthy. I would probably, if we're talking about the major label release, the um, the Ed song. I'm I don't I'm not a big fan of that song. Something about that that like guitar riff. It's very happy (laughs) sounding, and it sounds weird in the context of this record. That din in it, like it just doesn't uh, it just doesn't work for me. So I'd probably trim
1: that. You can picture some guy smoking a cigar, saying, "Go write a hook, boys. See, yeah, yeah exactly I'll show you how you write a song. You need a hook. The kids like
2: hooks. And major chords for the verses and chorus, and go to the minor for the bridge. That's how you write a song. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's that's what that that song sounds like to me. So uh, I'd trim that one from the from that release. Uh, Jay, where would you uh, be at with this uh, rating? <sighs>
0: Uh, I'd be a, uh, an EP for me. I like the f- I like how the record starts. The first three songs, I think, are solid. I like When Morning Comes. Um, in general, I, I don't mind when the band gets a little brighter and happier in that um, I think the, the vocal can help add the darkness <laughs> that's necessary to keep it kind of balanced. But uh, I tend to like the stuff where he st- restrains himself vocally. I mean, I think it really comes down to that. Those are at least the ones that... With the time I had to invest in this, they're most accessible to me. So, amenity P.
2: All right, then we have a slight disagreement on this particular episode. That's all right.
1: The the important point being that you have accepted Emmett swimming into your heart, and there can only grow.
2: (laughs) And we have we have contributed to their online presence. Now there will be a (laughs) entire podcast dedicated to this to this band that did not exist before.
1: Yeah. And, you know, hopefully they'll listen to this and, and write to let us know how wrong I am about <laughs> everything. But then we'll have a line of communication. Um, you know, and- they for a, for a while, there was, I think, a Yahoo group of fans dedicated to, uh, you know, it was like an email chain. This is back 2000, 2001. And boy, that group had a lot of cocks in it. Oh, my God. you <laughs> couldn't talk about it. So, I mean just everything every aspect of their online existence has always worked against them. They've never had good online representatives, so, if you're a super fan out there and you wanna grab that bull by the horns, uh they need you man
2: and It would not be the first time that someone from a band wrote us to tell us how completely wrong they were about about what we uh opined during our episode so
1: well answer it. your my answer your Facebook messages, guys, you know uh, Update that blog.
2: Yeah, please do.
1: Branding, yo.
2: Get a Twitter account like our man DX who blows it up on a regular basis. You are the busiest. Uh, you have 81,000 tweets last time I checked, which is uh, a lot. Do you? Is that your profession? Is that what you do you all day? Because I don't know anybody who tweets as much as you uh, outside of Donald Trump.
1: <laughs> now you know like like so much of my my work that I do involves me sitting in front of a computer forever and so much of it is is monkey work sometimes like I do a lot of transcribing and writing I need to do like a lot to uh, just warm up and uh, tweeting is kind of like me just getting my brain to fire you know it's it's like this very 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 old and bad lawnmower that you got to kickstart a lot. <laughs> So by firing out a lot of tweets eventually, like, uh, you know, eventually some thoughts tend to emerge. And then, you know, after goofing around for a couple hours, you know, eventually I uh, have a little bit of momentum and I can disappear into a work hole for a little while. But that's something I'm working on. I'm uh, working on it one day at a time.
2: My favorites are the redacted political tweet. Because I always <laughs> have, I have those same, like, I'm going to tweet something political and then, ugh. Uh, why bother <laughs> just back it off
1: back away um but anyhow guys if if we said anything wrong about you you know where to find us we want to help yes Emmett swimming are you out there we're worried about you guys
2: they do have a web page which is uh emmet swimming with one t for Emmett, uh like the name com. you can go there and uh you can read about uh well, stuff that went on in 2013 when their last record came out.
1: But how about you guys? I mean, what was your takeaway from this? Like, what under what circumstances would you recommend this to whom? Well, I'd have to know what the person is into
2: musically. So, you know, if I if somebody was into, like, some of the bands that we mentioned, and they were, and they were like, usually when I get this, it's in the context of, oh, you do a podcast on music? Well, and then I go, yeah. What kind of stuff do you listen to? Then I might go, well, we just reviewed this band, and they kind of sound like that. You might want to check out so and so. So, if if uh, if I was talking to someone, they were a big REM fan, I might go, well, we just checked out this band, *Emmett Swimming*, and they have, you know, a lot of similarities to uh, REM. You wanna, might want to check them out. That might be. Like when you listen
1: to this album, was it more of the experience you recall seeing live? I remember it being louder
2: live, and that might have been because it was for the next record, which was a little bit louder, in terms of having some more, you know, distorted guitar. But I was also—I mean, we're talking about 1996, so this is 20 years ago. I have a hard time remembering. I know, like I know, I was somewhere, but I don't recall the sensation of, like, being there anymore. And maybe that's just the early dementia that's kicking in.
1: Um, I mean, they, they had a hell of a, dr- or have, have we should say, have a hell of a drummer. You know, he's a really propulsive guy. It's a, a good experience. I mean, in addition to the the deep ambiance they can lay down. Right. It's I remember drive, them being, very like, very raucous. Rock
2: like, it was kind of like, I just remember the the, it was a small bar, and I just remember it being, like, really loud so in some ways this album caught me off guard because like this is a little bit quieter than i was expecting um but i just remember like being impressed by like the volume and that might have just been me not you know not being familiar and just being caught by caught off guard by a loud pa system but uh yeah i just remember them being you know really in my face with the with the volume so
1: yeah, all these years later, um, now that I've had all this time to think about it, the idea that they made the next album with Don Dixon, but without the bassist, uh, oh, that makes me want to cry now that I think about it. Man, I'm sad. You know, I would love to see what he could have done with this lineup, writing this kind of material. Because, I mean, this, this, The bulk of even on the major album release or re-release, they didn't do much with it. I mean, it is immaculately produced. Uh, did, Did you pick up on that as well? Did you like the sound?
2: Yeah, I don't think it sounds like there are albums and Jay will, you know, you can agree or disagree. But there are albums that have aged very poorly, whether it's the sound of you can pick it up in snare sounds and guitars and stuff like that. I don't, this doesn't sound to me like it doesn't have an age on it. Like, I, you could say that this was released 1995, 1985, 2005. It doesn't, I don't think it's stamped, which is always like sort of perfect, that you don't have yeah, like a defining sound to an album.
1: The producer, by the way, was Marco Del Mar, you know, a guy that does not have a giant uh, resume. I mean, he, his, his biggest acts are Basshead and Margo donald something of a dc sensation but he uh man i wish that guy would have got more work yeah Jay, did you yeah think- he engineered it
2: as well uh, what's the, that sound? on the production side yeah i thought the i thought
0: the production was well i mean the engineering is is very very good i mean i i don't think it's time it's timeless it's, it's sonically very full i think the bass tone is excellent um so yeah, I don't I don't have any issues with the production or engineering of it at all.
2: All right, we're just about to hit the hour mark, which is our sweet spot for these sorts of episodes, Mister Ferris. We can find you. I mentioned earlier your your Twitter, but you're also very busy with many other things. Uh, you have the book that was released back in May, Spurban Metal Dad Compendium One, Raging Bullshit Years yes. Three and Four. Volume That's a comic strip one.
1: compilation. That's a comic yes. strip I draw twice a week. If you want to call it draw, uh, I don't <laughs> know. That's a generous assessment, but I put it out. That's over at Pop But you know Dives. what? I, I have a website that you can kind of check out all my stuff. It's indexed fairly simply. Just go to uh, – you can either go to suburbanmetaldad.com if you're curious or if you're concerned about your work browser, suburbanmetaldad.com. <laughs> or for a quick index to everything I do, go to check out my butt. Com.
2: and i the suburban metal dad i was just there this week and was reading up on your visit with uh kelly lebrock and uh anthony michael hall and uh the folks from weird science which was very cool um when, when was that was was that in the last couple years or last year
1: no that, that was a couple months ago oh it was a couple uh, months ago okay yeah, that was a convention in pittsburgh uh pittsburgh has people to put on an excellent con there a couple times a year still city con steel city con they do really tremendous work putting together creative panels you know not just getting people to appear but for this one they had uh th- the three leads from weird science appear at it and i'm a huge john Hughes fan uh and i I've been writing about music for 17 years now, give or take. I don't have a picture of me with one musician. But when you waived the opportunity to get a picture with all three leads from a John Hughes movie, I buckled. <laughs> I kicked. Yeah, I did that. Very cool. But yeah, that's very good. They also they had a reunion of uh, the, the guys from Karate Kid one time, uh, Ralph Macchio and uh, the other guy, Johnny.
2: Billy Zabka? So Yeah, if you're
1: in Pittsburgh, you're looking for a con. Uh is that his name?
2: Yeah, Billy Zabka. He was the uh you know, he's he was the the, the teenage villain in a number of movies in the eighties, so
1: Yeah. Just one of the guys.
2: Yeah. He's uh he's quite legendary. And then he played himself in during the last season of How I Met Your Mother. And I only know that because my really? wife watched that show. Yeah, he was like the uh friend that one of the characters was getting married and he was the friend of one of the guys so he was at the wedding you know as billy zapka it was very
1: it was odd nice i think so yeah i got a little bit of everything i got some uh, i got some comic strips i got a couple books about slayer metal band of some note got a couple motivational books if you like that kind of thing
2: excellent um, yeah check it out yes people please do and listen
1: to this podcast tell your friends tell them about Emmett Swimming listen if you like 90s alternative rock at all give it a spin it's on Spotify it doesn't cost anything that's wrong I don't agree with it but you can check it out very cheap
2: (laughs) yeah the freemium uh people you know if you're going to listen please upgrade to a paid account listen and then you can go back to your freemium account but you know throw throw a few half a percentage pennies at uh emmett swimming because i'm sure they did not make any money while they were on their uh, epic contract so want to remind everybody patreon is the place to go patreon.com backslash dig me out to get behind the scenes uh information on upcoming episodes previews bonus content from episodes
1: support these guys
2: yes please
1: they don't have to do this for you
2: well, legally, the court says we do, but no. Um, yeah, we do it. You know what they were saying love.
1: before? I said, "Why do you guys do this stuff?" There's not a lot of money in it. You know what they said? Both wow. of them. They said we do it because we love our fans. <laughs> uh, we do. And they would probably uh, never come out and say that, but you know, I yeah. thought I would share that with you. I'm not making that up. It's, it's true. true. Maybe I am maybe a little bit.
2: We have no, to justify the uh, the microphones that we purchased and. Uh, gotta use it for something gotta use it for something exactly and uh, if you like what you heard head on over to iTunes and leave us some positive feedback thanks to our returning guest who is welcome back anytime Mr. DX Ferris. thank Um, you for having
1: always a pleasure
2: and we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out
0: thanks for listening you can support the podcast by becoming a Patreon subscriber at patreon.com Backslash, dig me out,
1: or requesting a review for the 2016 season at our request a review page at digmeoutpodcast.com.